Um, today I wanted to like, I'm actually struggling with how to go about today. I wanted to just try and tie everything together today. Um, this one is going to be, whoopsies. Um, why isn't it going back? Um, no, no, no. How do I go back? Okay, one second. Um, sorry, folks. So today I wanted to go back, and this one's not going to be philosophical like we have been um, so far, but the timing is good because I, I depart God willing next week uh, for California, um, so I'll explain at the end. But what we've been doing together, which I know some days are more annoying than, than others, was I wanted us to get rid of the God narrative for a second completely. Um, just to talk about things that are true and not true. Because what I kind of want you to have in the back of your minds as we're discussing this is, what if this is true? I mean, obviously I, I believe it's true. But my point is that I think we sometimes live our Christianity as though it's not true, right? Like where we live it as though it's just this, this, this thing out there, this random philosophy. And we divorce it from the narrative. And so I wanted to build all of this stuff up to then say, what is the narrative? What is the Christian narrative that we belong to? Um, and what does it mean? Um, and so I'm not going to go through this whole thing today because there's a whole section on what does it look like and what do I do? Um, and those are what I think need to come to come next, maybe when I, when I come back. Um, I sent you guys that podcast because I just wanted to ingrain in our minds, like the importance of things being true, right? That lady had her kids taken away from her based on somebody just assuming something to be true and ignoring what she says to be true. And the reason why I want you guys to listen to it was to say, if something's actually true, it has real ramifications. So if this woman is telling the truth, then her kids should be returned to her. If this woman is lying, then the kids should be taken from her. So what I'm trying to get at is, we sometimes talk about truth like it's not a big deal, where it's simply, yeah, yeah, you can believe that if you want. But what I'm trying to get at is, there are some things that whether you believe it or not makes a big difference. It's not something that doesn't matter. So you could get away with saying, I don't care if the manager of the Lakers is corrupt or not. Right? You can get away with, with saying that because you're not on the Lakers. Um, you have no stake in it. But when it comes to life, which you have, the question of where it came from, you have a big stake in. And whether the narrative is true or not actually has some real ramifications. So I want to frame this now like to say, okay, we've done, we're done talking about absolute truth. It's going to come up a lot. All those things are going to come up. Um, but of saying, what is our story? What is it, the thing that we're, that we're saying? And I'm framing it around first love from um, Revelations, because I think we have forgotten that concept, okay? So imagine 
cool transitions, right? Imagine you meet someone who to you seems, thank you. (laughs) Who to you seems to be totally perfect, okay? Um, You love spending time with that person. They lift you up when you're down. Life is so much better, fun, lively, et cetera. Feels better when you're around that person. And that person just seems to have the whole world figured out. They're kind, they're friendly, they're funny, they're caring, insert whatever adjectives and characteristics that you like. And you want that person to be a friend. What do you do? And because we're not in person, um, I won't wait for the answers. The answer would be like, well, you're not gonna just sit there in the room and, and hope that something happens. You're gonna try and get to know the person, right? So today I wanna to talk about who God is in our narrative. Um, in the getting to know part and in spiritual life um, as we're going to talk about a lot more over the following year God willing when I come back is that after now that we're finishing up the foundations part of because spiritual life is about relationship there's an aspect of knowing who the other person is in the relationship and there's an aspect of relationship that is knowing yourself right there's both aspects of it Um, that matter. So I just want to focus a little bit today, not even like comprehensively, um, on the general story of the who God is um, in the context of of this relationship. Because if we're talking about, like we've been talking in the previous weeks, of our existence being about relationship, about unity with God, about image and likeness, how can you have or live any of those things if you have no idea what or who that is, right? That's, that's impossible. And yet many Christians call themselves Christians um, without knowing any of this, right? Um, and I really want to zoom in on the, I'm a big St. John fan, if you haven't noticed yet. Um, we love him because he first loved us. Because I want to make it also very clear that the initiator of this relationship is not us. Right, the initiator of the relationship actually um, is coming from God's side, which makes a big difference. So, in the beginning, which is what we talked about a few weeks ago, was the Trinity, right? Is the Trinity. And the Trinity lived in community, and the Trinity had no need to create any human being. The Trinity had no need to make creation. The Trinity had no need for planets, constellations, the Trinity had no need of angels, the Trinity had no need of praise, the Trinity had no need of worship, the Trinity had no needs, right? The Trinity is self-contained, self-flowing. It had no need of anything exterior to itself. And so we talked about how as a product of love, as a consequence of love, as an identity, that it was the goodwill of the Trinity to make, to create in general, right? And the crown of creation in the Christian narrative is um, humanity, that God made the world and made the world for man. And as we talked about in that story that we were reading the the one Friday, um, is that he gave humanity a very special gift, right? He gifted humanity with his own identity. God made us his own offspring. I'm not going to rehash all of that. You can go back and listen to that. But instead... The beginning of this relationship where God literally said, behold, I've made all things and all things are at your feet and all things belong to you. And I want just your joy. 
Um, I just want our unity. I want, I want this reciprocating relationship. Humanity actively rejected, right? Humanity actively said, we don't want this. And we spoke about how God said, well, the day that you eat of this, you're going to die. Not I will kill you, as we said, but you'll die. Why? Because you've introduced disease into yourselves, right? But God didn't want to cut us off, right? So we talked about how God said, well, then I can't live in you. I can't, my existence can't be in you. We lost our unity with, with God living within us um, because of the difference between light and dark, not because of God actively rejecting us. Because if God were to reject us, then we would expect to see that the minute we messed up, that God's out of the picture or destroys us or stops talking to us, right? But that's not what we see, right? We see that when Adam and Eve depart the garden, that the Lord continues to be in dialogue with them, right? And so then we, we take a look at Cain and Abel, and we see that even from the very beginning, they had some sense of relationship with God. Because even though there's no written law, there's nothing saying, here's what you should do for God. Clearly, Adam and Eve um, had developed some form of way of interacting or communion with God or expressing a relationship with God. Because the idea of offering sacrifice, which many of us just skip over when we read the story of Cain and Abel, how did they get it? Right? Like, like how did they know to even do that? Somebody had come up with the idea of saying, you know what, let's remember that we didn't make ourselves. Let's remember that God really loved us and made this stuff for us. So let's take from it and offer something to God. Right? And so they started developing their own rituals, if you will. And on one of the talks, we're going to have a talk about what's the point of ritual? What's the point of tradition? What's the point of all these things? Um, but they developed ritual as a way of showing God something, right? Just like within family, um, we have rituals. We can have family dinner, right? There are rituals of saying good morning or good night to your parents and your siblings, right? There are rituals that we come up with to signify relationship because you can't be in a relationship by just sitting and expecting communication to just magically be done, right? We're needing to express it and to experience it. And ritual gives us a context to do that. But God was saying, all right, you guys lost your health, right? And so think of it like little kids um, or like some young guy who dad gave him a car and the guy smashed up the car Right. And dad is saying, I'm going to get, I'm going to fix your car. I'm going to get you a new car, <clears throat> but not right away. I want to train you up so that when you receive the car again, you know how to use it. You know how to care for it. You know how to repair it. Right. You have an income to keep the maintenance. You have all these things. And so this becomes the story of what we call the economy, God's plan of fixing it. Because when we exited the garden, God isn't saying, well, that's too bad. That didn't work out too well. Uh, I guess it is what it is. God was saying, no, I, I actually i am going to fix it. Not I want to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And so right from the beginning was, I'm going to enter time. I'm going to give myself because the only one who can fix this broken humanity, this broken image is me. Because I am the image in which you were made. I'm the one who made you. So the only one who can recreate you or renew you is me. 
And the only one who can make it exactly like the original is me because I am the original. I am the prototype. I am Protos. I am Archi. I am head. I am first. Right? And that's why those, those words have multiple meanings. Um, and God willing, during Holy Week, um, maybe we'll have a whole series explaining that through Holy Week because Holy Week we go through the whole story of the economy. Okay? And so God was saying, <clears throat> you guys are sick and I get it. Um, but try and hold on to health, right? It's not a free for all, right? So it's like, if you have a paper cut, it would be really unwise to say, well, have paper cut, all is lost. I may as well start stabbing myself, right? And so God's saying, no, keep it together. Don't, don't, don't let there be increased like injury, but humanity very quickly preferred dishealth to health, which makes so much sense right? Once a person gets lazy, it's really hard to be athletic again. When a person is used to eating junk food, it's really hard to going back to eating healthy if you ever did, right? And so with the flood, we had reached a point where humanity was so diseased that God was actually the main thing that actually really disturbed God. Um, it says is the violence. It's the violence. That man was not even content with just himself being injured, and himself being sick, but man felt it was okay to go and actively kill other people, right? Now, like physically and spiritually, right? And that it, it's interesting that Genesis says that the, the main point of provocation for God was that he looked down and saw how much violence there was. And a lot of people struggle with the flood. I'm not gonna spend a long time on it because it's not the point of today's talk, um, but the pandemic is a really good way of trying to understand the flood. Um, in terms of spiritual terms, right? Think of, of, of um, Ebola or whatever the big one was in Africa last year, the year before, you've already forgotten it because of, of, of COVID. But imagine if you know there's a virus that's going to kill the whole world that is presently only in Africa. Only in Africa. And we know that if this gets out of Africa, we're going to lose the whole world population. And now humanity is confronted with a decision if we nuke Africa, we can save the rest of the planet. But if we leave Africa, we're all going to die. So God is not limited in that way. What God did is control all delete and said, this disease has taken over. Humanity is being lost. I'm going to take the best of humanity that's there which wasn't even, no offense, Noah, that impressive. It is impressive how good Noah was in this context. But in our image of holy people, Noah got trashed within days getting off the ark. So it's not like he's the, the pinnacle of, of self-control, right? But God control deleted. The part that we don't talk about much is that he was still saving those who perished. Right. And that's not the point of this talk, but of saying, I'm not saving some at the expense of others. Actually, his goal was to save all. Um, and so that's what's different in this narrative. But that's that's another topic. I just want to leave an, an open string on that one and said, OK, I'm saving humanity. Let's restart. Let's treat it like Adam and Eve brand new. Noah, you know what it means to be holy. You know what it is to be healthy. So be it. Be healthy. Right. And we see, and he's like, let's recreate humanity through this promise. And that was the first covenant was with Noah. And so Noah 
like we said, within days, he gets trashed. Um, and his son thinks it's hilarious, right? Like his, his son goes to his, to his brothers and he's like, check it, dad's buck naked and trashed, right? And so the brothers come and they show him dignity. They hide his nakedness. But I'm saying, this is humanity. This is our story. This is who we are, right? And so within no time, we see the descendants of Noah are at least as bad as they were before the flood. And so God is looking out saying, guys, you're forgetting this relationship. You're forgetting who I am and who you are. You're my kids. And I love you. And we're supposed to be in a relationship here. That's the point of your existence. That's why you were made. That is who you are. It's not even an option. It's, it's your actual identity. Right? And humanity continued to reject him. And so it reached a point where there's basically nothing left. And to me, this is a little bit comforting because I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I look at our humanity today and say, do we care about God at all? Right? And then I remember that this has happened in history before and God was always able to do his thing. Right? But he looked through humanity and he found some guy named Abram who was upright. And he just said, Abram, I'm God. Um, in case you're interested, a lot of people aren't really interested anymore. Um, I see who you are. And I still want the whole world to know who I am. I really do care about the whole world. But the whole world doesn't want me. So I'm going to teach you guys about myself and restore the relationship, restore the firstness, that, that the beginnings, your beginnings, your genesis, right? Your creation. I'm going to restore it, but I have to teach you guys slowly to get it. So I'm going to speak in your language. Your culture, you guys are about winning wars, about wealth, about prosperity, about all these things. So if you're willing to be healthy, whenever I say healthy, think holy. If you're willing to strive for being healthy, I will work with you uniquely. I wanted the whole world, but the whole world is rejecting right now. I'm going to work through you. And in return, because I know it's hard for you, and even though this is not the point, in return, the world was already made for you. You were already supposed to be prosperous. In return, I will fight your wars. I'll make you a great nation. I will multiply your offspring. I will do all those things that you guys are really obsessed with. The only thing I ask from you is that you be willing to struggle for health, that you remember you're my son. Abe, are you willing to do that? And Abraham says yes, right? And I hope that at one point we do a Bible study of Abraham because he's one of my most favorite people in the history of humanity, okay? And Abraham says yes to that, even though that was crazy, right? It's crazy because he's hearing voices, guys. He's hearing a voice saying, leave your normal life that you guys have. People had started to live, had started to live in towns and villages at the time to become a Bedouin, to travel, to leave his family, Right, because of some voice that he hears saying, yeah, I'm going to make a big deal out of you. That's why Abraham is the image of faith, right? And God renames him as Abraham eventually, etc. And so he says, all right, I'm going to work through you as a nation, right? Keep in mind that God never wanted just a nation. God always wanted the whole world. This is him 
laying his own will down for the sake of the world. Okay? And so the children of Abraham become the children of the covenant. And God does something really, really cool with Abraham that you guys might not understand. I didn't until recently. In those days when you wanted to make a deal with somebody, today you shake hands. We all have these weird rituals, right? Because you think about it, since when does shaking hands mean anything? Like why does just two hands meeting somehow mean we've made an agreement, right? We made them up. In those days when people wanted to make a deal, they would take an animal, cut it in half, light a fire in the middle, have a meal, and they would walk up and down between it to have their deal. And when they left that, it meant the deal is made. And if you broke the deal, your fate is like the dead animal. You're dead. God stoops down to the level of humanity. This is how much he loves and how much he was willing to work for it. That he says, I'll make a deal with you in your language, buddy. Like in your language, you shake hands. Okay, I'm going to come down. Light a fire, Abraham. Split these animals. Split them in half. And he does something so interesting. He walks up and down, and Abraham doesn't. Making Abraham not actually accountable to the point of death for his end of video. Right? It's almost like when you team up in Monopoly with somebody and you're like <laughs> handing cash to, to another person, right? That you know they're going to use to pay you back with. Right? Where it's like, here's a loan and the money's just coming back to you. God is like, yeah, I don't want anything from you. Like, even when I'm making this covenant, I actually just want you. That's all. That's really all I want. So the descendants of Abraham become this nation, right? Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob's renamed Israel. And Israel becomes this great nation. And they become fixated not on um, relationship with God, but on being a people. But because these people are start getting confused, and even though they're the people of God, they get more and more and more sick. God sends them through the person of Moses a law, right? He rescues them from captivity and gives them a law. And as we talked about in the previous weeks, the law was not, here's a list of rules for the sake of rules. The law was saying, this is what being healthy looks like. It's showing honor to things. It's not stealing from each other. It's not killing each other. It's not taking each other's stuff. It's not sleeping around. It's not taking your neighbor's wife. It's not killing or taking his cattle. It's not envying. That's not health, right? So that's what the point of the law was because when you normalize a wrong, Right? So, for example, they weren't allowed to charge each other interest. He's saying, why would you charge each other interest? Why are you making money off of each other? This is supposed to be everybody's. Right? But when interest becomes normal, how many of you think about whether interest is ethical or not today? Right? When you normalize disease, you just don't remember what health looks like. And that's what the law was for. And then because people didn't know how to live the law all the time, it's like, okay, we know the rules, but how do I do it here? And we want to have a relationship with God, but we don't always know when he's talking. Then the Lord sent them prophets and judges. 
Okay. The prophet's job today, we think of prophets as people telling the future. That's not what a prophet was. Prophets sometimes told the future, but prophecy itself is simply to divine, to discern the word of God, to say, this is what God is saying, right? That's why there's still a prophetic spirit in the church, right? Of being able to say, God is saying, right? That's why it's very dangerous when you're having those conversations with you guys, actually, as in Ontario, back about like COVID, is this, is this God's wrath, right? And I was saying, and I wasn't being facetious, I'm not a prophet, I can't tell you. I can't say it with certainty. A prophet, somebody with the gift of prophecy, they can tell you with certainty. I don't have that gift, I can't say it, right? So the prophet does that. And the judge is who the people are to come to to say, how do I be healthy in this situation? My brother is fighting with me and he is demanding from this from me and it's not fair, but I don't wanna do wrong. Tell me judge, how do you judge the situation? How do you judge the context? Tell me how to behave. That's what a judge was. Judges weren't walking around saying, you're a good person, you're a bad person. Judges were saying, let me judge this this scenario to tell you, in my judgment, how to live the word of God. Let me tell you, as a physician, how to be healthy. It's like somebody going to the doctor and saying, I live in a house that has secondhand smoke. What do I do? And you need someone to help navigate you to maintain health the best of your ability in your situation. Right? That's what they were doing. But people didn't want that. Right? And I'm trying to tell you this narrative to keep putting back in your mind, come back to the garden of what we were supposed to be and look through time how we kept going away from that, how we kept going away from that. We kept on saying, no, we don't want that. We don't want you. Right? Here's what God's saying. Well, I don't care. I don't want God, even though God made me. Here's how I'm supposed to be. I don't care. I don't want to be that. And so the people took it even further and said, this life sucks. Look at what the rest of the world is doing and our lives suck. Like we're stuck with some God where we just like chill and have no wealth and we don't look like these other people. Sound familiar? Because this is the spiritual battle of so many of us today, right? I'd rather be clubbing. I'd rather be sleeping around. Why can't I get completely trashed? Why can't I be high as a kite? They look like they're having a great time. And the only reason I'm not having a great time is because I don't have what they have because some rules theoretically are governing me, bun the rules. And then at the same time is looking at it saying, I want, I want stuff. Everyone else has stuff. Right. And so even today as a church, we sometimes do that. We'll be like, oh, what do you like about the world? We'll do it too. You like this event? We'll do it at church. You want to, you wanted to go to prom at church at school? We'll do a prom at church. You wanted to go to the gym? I'll build you a gym at church. I'm not saying those things are intrinsically wrong. I'm trying to challenge what is our mindset when we do it. And so the people come to the prophets and the judges, the last of whom was Samuel, and they say to Samuel, who is both a prophet and a judge, we want a king. All the other people have kings. And Samuel looks at them saying, like, what's wrong with you people? Like, what on earth do you need a king for? 
your God is king. Why do you want that? And he got really upset saying, what the heck is wrong with you? Why, how could you want that? Because he's healthy and he really loves like his dad being God. And he's basically saying, you guys are asking for a new dad. How can you ask for a new dad? But then dad says to Samuel, Samuel, you're not dad. I'm dad. They're not rejecting you as their brother. They're rejecting me as dad. And you know what? I love them. Let them have a new dad. No problem. Let them have a new dad. But here's, here's all I'm asking. I'll give, you, I'll give you your dad, a new dad. But please stay healthy. All I'm asking is you stay healthy. I'm okay with it. Just stay healthy. But they still rejected that. They got their kings. They still didn't decide to live healthy. And things got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And they forgot. And don't forget, this is real history that we're talking about. The whole context of this talk was saying, this is a true story. This all originated somewhere in real life, in real time, in real history. And if it's true, I want you guys to realize we're all connected to this story. Because we exist. Right. And so they go through history and they're like, we don't like this. We don't care about God. They started taking up new gods. They started doing all sorts of stuff. Even though they had this theoretical dad, they rejected him and they lived the way that ever the nations did. They worshiped other gods. They had all the different problems that ever the people had. They sacrificed their kids to gods. They went to wars. They ignored the prophets. They shot down church. It got so bad at one point that, and I'm not getting into the details of Passover and sacrifice, but they forgot that Passover existed. Literally, some guy, sound familiar when you have dust over your Bible, is cleaning up, discovers the Pentateuch, and goes, oh, shoot, we're in trouble. We didn't know we were supposed to be doing this stuff. And he goes around to me like, hey, there's this thing called Passover. There's these things called rituals. We haven't been doing them. And in my mind, I'm like, what kind of priest were you? Like, what did you do? Like, just chill and eat? Right. You just kill animals like for like day in, day out. Like what was your job? Right. But that's how bad it got. That would be like the equivalent of today. Things getting so bad in church that we got so secular that we forgot what Eucharist even is, let alone having it. Whereas a distant memory where people are like, oh, yeah, back in the day, they used to have communion when all of Christian life zooms around Eucharist. That's how bad it got. But this whole entire time, God was saying you're my kids. I'm going to restore you to health. You're rejecting me because of how sick you are. You're so lost in your sickness that you don't recognize me. I still love you. I am going to fix it. And that's why in spite of him as a dad raising his kids saying, this is wrong, Habibi, this is wrong, right? You're going to get hurt. You're going to die. In spite of those messages, because he needed to teach us right from wrong, he was also saying, but don't worry. I'm going to fix it. I am going to fix it. I'm going to fix who you are. I'm going to restore you to your sonship. I'm even going to dwell in you again. I'm going to restore all of it. I'm going to. I'm coming. And the prophet started to point at the coming of the Lord. That God himself, the word himself, the glory of God himself 
would come down and fix it. And he did. In the roughly year zero AD, it's not exactly accurate, he came. This is the Christian narrative. That the bodiless took on a body, the incorporeal took on a body, the timeless entered time, and said, the only way to restore the images to be it, to show you. I made you to be a divine man. And so I'll show you what that looks like. I'll become it. I will enter that. You guys have become subject to death because you're a disease. I'll slay death. You guys forgot who the father is. I am in the bosom of the Father. I'll show you. Because whoever has seen me has seen the Father, he says. You guys don't know what health can look like in your context. I'll be healthy and show you. I will live exactly the way you live and show you how it's done. And I, as man, will have the Holy Spirit descend upon this very body so that you can receive the Holy Spirit again and live in unity with God and not die. I will do all of those things. But keep in mind when he comes, he had wanted the whole world to know him from the day one, but the whole world had rejected him. He then worked with a particular people, hoping that through the particular people, he could gather the whole world to himself. But when he comes, his particular people and the Gentiles, all of his kids, participate in killing him. But only in killing him do we rise. Because as we talked about in one of the weeks, is that we have to deal with the resurrection as a fact. If the Lord is truly risen in time and in history, it means something, right? That's why I keep coming back to if something is true, there are consequences. So we see a, a God who created, who didn't need to create, who acted as a father throughout the ages, even when rejected, who emptied himself. He didn't even come down as a king, to go back to that first narrative that we talked about that one Friday. He didn't come with a whip. He didn't come saying, you horrible people. He literally came and chilled with everyone, even the worst of the worst, to show us, I'm not mad at you. I want you. I love you. And I want you to be healthy. I will sit with the most sick and heal them. I'll sit with the people who don't think they're sick and heal them. All of it becomes a matter of choice of how to interact with him right so we are the product i'm not gonna i don't think i'm gonna continue with the rest of this we are the product of that story okay we are the product of that story and what i'm trying to get at here is the early church if we want to continue this story um which i'm not but if we were to to continue this story, the early church 
is a continuation of that narrative of saying, just like there was an Adam and Eve, and then there was a Noah, and there was an Abraham, and there was a Moses, and there was all these people. Then there was a Jesus. Then there's these 12 apostles. Then there's me and you. I don't know that we often realize we're still in that narrative. We are the new people of Israel, just as they were. We're living as they did, where we have a king and we're saying, give us another king. We're living as they are saying, thanks for you, Chris. I couldn't care less. Can you bring it to my house or do I have to go? Can I come like two minutes before the meal? We're saying, I get it. You're really cute. You're really nice. That's really, really good. But honestly, I would rather go do this like all my friends are doing. I would rather have a king. We are repeating history and not recognizing who we are in history and who he is. We are living like the story isn't true. We are living like it's an optional narrative that doesn't have consequences. And what I'm presenting, this was the whole point of foundations is that if it's really true, things mean things. If he's really your dad, then you're really his son and you're really his daughter. That means something. Think about your own relationship with your parents. If you're your parents' kids, whether you want it, don't want it, like it, don't like it, you're now connected to them. And that comes with consequences. In that podcast that I sent out to you guys, if that woman really abused her kids, there are consequences. It's not okay to just think about it as a random thing. And spiritual life, I hope you can understand through all these things we've been talking about in the last five, five, six talks or more, is not this arbitrary random thing. Spiritual life is the pursuit of health and reciprocating relationship. Your living is living in relationship. Your living is a connection between you and your dad. And you need to know who your dad is and you need to know who you are in relationship to your dad. And that once you start to understand that, you're actually gonna feel so liberated, not so trapped. The problem that most of us have had in our Christianity is we've been dealing with um, life like it's a bunch of rules. Like here's the list, Christians don't date, they don't have sex, they don't do weed, they don't do coke, they don't go to clubs, they don't go to bars, they don't cheat on exams and everybody else is cheating on exams, right? That's what a Christian is. That's not what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who believes this narrative. A Christian is the person who believes that Jesus Christ is God. A Christian is someone who believes that God is creator and that there is an objective reality to their living. A Christian is somebody who believes there is such thing as real health. And once you realize that, you understand that living healthily is freeing you from disease. The only time you're going to see, the, see it as rules is when you don't believe in health and disease, you want to be sick and think there's rules that don't. It's literally like we talked before saying, I don't like this rule that I have to use oxygen instead of water. That's literally what you're thinking 
if you are viewing all these things as rules of saying, I'm apparently not allowed to breathe water. It's that not about being allowed to breathe water. It's that you don't have gills. You have lungs. It becomes a matter of identity. Your sonship, your daughterhood is a matter of identity. It is not a matter of choice. Where you have choice in is how you respond to your dad. That's where you have a choice. You actually don't have a choice in identity. In the same way that you don't have a choice in identity to your parents. No matter what you do, you can't cease to factually be your parents' child, no matter what. Even if you change your name, you can socially, culturally, practically, and on a whole bunch of levels, cease to be a son or daughter. But you can never cease to ontologically, as a matter of identity, as being, of being, cease to be a son or daughter. You can't, no matter what you do. You will always be a child of those two people. That's the same thing with God. God will always be God. What you have a choice in is, do you want to be son or daughter? Do you want health? And that from this narrative, you'll start to realize the way you think might be wrong of saying, I did bad on my exam because God is punishing me. No. I... I'm doing terribly at my job because I did drugs and God wants me, wants to yell at me. Not necessarily at all. You start to recognize that being healthy is its own reward. Being sick is its own punishment. It's not God punishing you for being sick. Your being sick is your own punishment for choosing sickness, not God inflicting sickness upon you. And being healthy is a consequence of being healthy because health is good. It is itself good. It's being able to run up and down the stairs and not lose your breath. It's being able to enjoy nature. It's being able to breathe freely. It's not God saying, because you chose to eat these foods, I'm going to actively say, I'm going to help you breathe well. No, you were designed to breathe well. You were designed to be healthy and by living healthy, you're being who you're supposed to be. And by being sick, you're choosing to be who you're not supposed to be. And where God can interact with you directly is based on your choices. Where you are saying to God, I want to be in a relationship with you. And being able to say, God, how do you feel about this? What do you think about this? And that's where we are going to use these conversations to talk about what is prayer? What is Christian living? What is virtue? They're not boring concepts. Those are ways of being in relationship. Of saying, I want to chill with you because I don't really know who you are. I want to hear from you because I have no idea what you're thinking. I want to know what it is that you had in mind when you made us, when you didn't have to, and said, be my kids. That's where spiritual life comes in. The sacraments are going to come in when we start looking at, okay, God has this narrative. He did these things in history. What does that mean to me today? And God's saying, here's how you can participate in me. Here's how you enter into history with me as my people.
here's how you have access to health. Because now when you get sick, you're not waiting for me to come and fix it like the people in the Old Testament were. I already fixed it. Here's how you can participate in the fixing. I've provided you with the remedies. I've given you the medicines now when you're sick. I am the remedy. Here's how you participate in me as remedy. That's where sacramental living comes in. That's why I want us to understand the whole narrative of Christianity is, might be so different than what you're used to. It's beautiful. And your living becomes so simple. It becomes your reaction, your response to God and love. This is why I had to talk about philosophy and rules and, 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 and absolute truth and ways of thinking and all those kind of stuff that were, I know, very dry, very rote, very heavy. I'm saying you have to understand the big picture to see how simple it translates into, into real living after that. Where once you see the consequence of real truth, once you believe in real truth, you trust this real truth, you enter in that narrative, life becomes more chill because life doesn't become about whether you become a doctor or an engineer with all respect to doctors and engineers and pharmacists. It's not about whether you have this role or that role, whether you're the Amin Khidma, right? Whether or not you got this, that, or the other thing, whether your church has nice curtains or dark curtains, whether your friend down the street is a moron or holy or disgusting or filthy or bad. Christianity is not about any of those things. Life becomes so simple, you just end up being yourself, which is an image and likeness of God, and have a good time. God said, I came that you might have life more abundantly. When God created us, he said, chill, take care of the earth, do your thing. Just take care of the earth. Which means if you want to be an artist, you can be an artist. If you want to be a musician, you can be a musician. You want to be a shepherd, you can be a shepherd. You want to be a plumber, be a plumber. You want to be a doctor, be a doctor. You want to be a farmer, be a farmer. Just take care of one another. Love dad, love your siblings, love everybody, take care of everybody, be healthy. That's Christian life. That's all Christian life is. It is nothing more than that. But when we take it out of those perimeters and we start to worship objects instead of dad, when we adore, we're, better word for worship right now is adore because worship, I think you guys think, might be thinking in the lines of bow down and hail. He never asked for that. He never asked for that, ever. But when we start adoring God, which he says, by the way, you want to adore me? Adore each other. Adore me by being who you're supposed to be and adoring your family. He even shares his adoration. He even shares that and says, no, 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 adore each other. Right? He even says, you want to show me you love me? Love everybody else. Choose them. Give to them. Walk with them. Care for them. Listen to them. Sacrifice for them. That's Christian life. That's what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. That's what it means to be restored to sonship or to be restored to being a daughter. That's what it means to enter the life of God. It's literally to go back to the narrative and say, who am I supposed to be? And it's so simple. I want to ask all of you today to sit down and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Because that's what it means to be the image and likeness of God. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And ask whether you live that. And ask yourself what the world 
would look like if that's how we lived. Ask yourself if any of the things that upset you in your life or that get you frustrated or tired or you wish for would still exist if everyone in the world lived like that. And I say everyone in the world because everyone in the world was designed to be that. And only because we have rejected our identity and only because we've rejected the one who gave us identity do we have any of the issues that we have on a day-to-day -day basis. If we all lived it, it would be different. I hope that that makes sense of everything, right? Like these were the foundation I laid down to get to this story because I wanted this story to be brought in in the context of truth, not this story as fiction, not this story as some old tale, but the narrative is a true story that you're a part of and that the only response that we should have to this story is the response of the first believers when Peter preached of saying, we have heard what you've said, what do we do? And that will frame the discussions about what do we do, right? How do we be? How do we live? How do we respond? because we love him because he first loved back us. Our call is to love back. To him be glory now and always the age of ages. Amen. Any questions or comments, feel free to unmute yourself um, and go for it. Or even just thoughts from this or like trail offs. Like it doesn't even have to be a question. You might just have a comment, please feel free. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking a little bit about uh, what we, I guess, what we discussed earlier in um, previous talks about uh, our nature or like, I guess, sin being us going against God's design um, for who we are and it being like almost going against our identity. And um, I was just wondering if you could clarify a little bit, because to me, it seems like um, sin is going against our identity or, you know, like going off the rails, so to speak, with our design, which is damaging it. And then um, for in, in what way does uh, Christ coming down and showing us the right way, which we already kind of had in the law um, of using our design, uh, fix our situation? And how do we keep, I guess, fixing our broken design uh, that we get when we sin through confession and the sacraments. Right. Um, so some of that actually um, are going to be future talks. So I'll, do, I'll do very skeletal right now because we're going to talk about the sacraments in light of the incarnation. We're going to mm -hmm. talk about repentance specifically um, in light of this narrative. But I would say that the basics of it is to say um, before the incarnation, you couldn't get a kidney transplant if your kidney was sick. Before the incarnation, um, if you got a cold, you had to just kind of ride with it. You didn't have antivirals or antibiotics, right? And so basically there was no solution to disease um, before. Sacrifice, which we'll talk about, was almost like God said, here's an external injection you can take 
to try and keep you alive, but but you're still going to die. It's not going to stop you from dying. It might prolong your life a little, right? And so the incarnation was saying, I will be the first fruits of healthy humanity because I'm not diseased. So I will come in flesh and I'll show you health. And I'm infusing, because I'm the source of health, I'm infusing into humanity life itself and health itself, right? But you have the choice to participate. That's baptism. So baptism becomes a participation in resurrection, right? That's why we say baptism becomes dying with him and then rising with him. It's saying, I want it. I want that. Because he's now saying, you want to be in my family? It's up to you. You're all my kids. But you want to enter a relationship actively? Here's your door, baptism and chrismation. You had lost the indwelling of God. The incarnation fixed that through theophany. Now you get chrismated. You have the Holy Spirit fit, like actually dwelling in you. That's the chrismation, right? You um, need to participate of the forgiveness that comes in my sacrifice to reunite his body. Eucharist does that, right? You want to bring an offering to God and say, yeah, I messed up. I, went, I intentionally went healthy. Uh, when sick, I mean, sacramental reconciliation comes in. Um, so all of that is the context. So the illness I'm trying to say is pre-incarnation had no, no real solution, no real actual fix. It had band-aids, but no fix. Incarnation gave fixing. Does that clarify? Yeah, I think in my mind, I'm a little bit um, caught up on the analogy itself and uh, all of the specifics of how exactly, like, for example, you brought up theophany, how exactly does our baptism, um, you know, why does baptism have meaning now? Just because, uh, you know, Jesus uh, was baptized 2000 years ago, or like, um, because he died and rose, what, what does his resurrection 2000 years ago actually do for us now, which um, I guess you're probably going to get into future talks, uh, in future talks. So I'll stay tuned for that. But I will get into that. But I guess just quickly to respond is to say the rituals are things God gave us to, to be able to experience something, right? If God wanted, God could have just said, behold, my spirit is now on you. And then that actually happened, right? Because God has the authority to do that. But because we are sensual people, we have senses, we wouldn't know how to experience it, right? Like God could have also, instead of giving Eucharist, it could have been, behold, you're communed. And it could have been just as real, right? But the rituals, the rituals are there to say, here's a tangible way. And that's what the beauty of is saying that God created, even in nature, ways to see him, right? Like, for example, this is a meditation. This is not, I'm not declaring this as dogma, Okay, by creating seeds to be buried under the ground, to die and then sprout. He didn't have to design seeds that way. Right. But in seeing it, I can see something physical to help me have this concept of life coming through death. Right. So I'm saying that God did choose baptism. Why he chose immersion in water for himself as the way of receiving the spirit. No idea. I actually have no idea. Right? I don't know why he chose that specifically, but he did. Right, But we're tying it to the event of 
his receiving the Holy Spirit, because in Genesis, we're told we lost the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So when we see that in his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended again, and it says descended and remained. And then he told the apostles, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we do it. He could have chosen a different ritual. He just didn't, right? He could have chosen a walk under some arch and I will, my spirit will come upon you and tell everybody to walk under an arch and we all now walk under arches, right? It could have been anything really. Um, he chose the water. And I mean, you can meditate on why he chose water, why he did all those things. Um, but the point of the ritual was that as humans, he understands that we need to experience things, right? In the same way that, a parent could tell their kids, I care. And in their heart of hearts, they care. But until you experience the care through something tangible with the senses, it's hard for you to believe that they care, right? And so the, the, the physical, and that's why sacraments, what they are, is a, a physical manifestation of something spiritual happening, right? And the early church didn't really count seven. The early church saw life as sacramental. It saw any physical work in which God was also divinely working as being sacramental. We started numbering them after the Protestant Reformation um, of saying, you must have these. Um, but that's that's what they are. Sorry to, to go on and on and on. No, that's okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, There's just one final follow-up, um, if I can. Uh, it's just like... Um, so we already had the law in the Old Testament. And I think the point of one of the points of your talk today was like um, how Christ needed to come to show us uh, at least one of the reasons he came was to show us how to, um, you know, what health is uh, to use your analogy. But if the law already told us um, what health is and in some sense how to live it, then like um, I'm having a little bit of difficulty seeing why the incarnation uh, was really necessary that's perfect now i get it okay i hope this helps now because i think that that's useful for me to understand it the law is saying here's what a, a healthy kidney is in concept okay but the law doesn't say how to get a healthy kidney how to fix an unhealthy kidney right um, or how to be a healthy kidney. It just says, that's what it is. It's almost like you have a textbook where there's a picture of a healthy kidney saying, that's what it looks like right there. So in the incarnation, God said, I'm coming with a healthy kidney. You guys haven't had healthy kidney in forever. And you're wondering, how can I get a healthy kidney? I'll give you healthy kidneys. And I'll show you in the flesh what it looks like to keep a healthy kidney without getting it diseased. He was doing all of the above in the incarnation. Does that help? Yeah, that does help. Uh, it makes a lot of sense now. Thank you. I like analogies, man. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I just want to say that I really love you guys. I'm, I'm not, I don't even mean that in the cliche way. Um, the love that you guys have shown me and how friendly um, and welcoming, like, it feels weird that I've only been here three months because you guys have made me feel like, like we all go way back. So thank you guys so much for your, your Christian love and kindness towards me. You guys rock. We'll end with prayer. Um, and thanks, thanks again, guys, for, for, for getting online. All right, in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen.
Lord, hear us when we pray to intercessions of Holy Mother Theotokos, St. Mary, the great St. Anthony, St. Mina, and St. Paul Corlis, we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but let us forgive all in Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the God and Son, the communion, good to us with you all, go in peace. The peace, Lord, be with you all. Deuces. Thank you, Abuna. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a safe trip. Thank uh, you, Abuna. Steve, let me uh, shoot at you the recordings to add to the YouTube channel. Um, just remind me to get them to you. I keep forgetting. No worries. All right. Bye, Thank you so much, Abuna. Thank For you, guys. Thanks, Abuna. I'll miss you guys. Bye, David. Bye, Abuna. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, see you at AP. Peace, Tim. I'll see you soon, buddy. For sure. I'll see you soon. Bye. Later.